As we once again near America's most historic road race, the Boston Marathon, Dakota Lindworm of Minnesota Distance Elite and Puma Running joins us for a preview of Boston's 127th edition. Dakota enters Boston with a 225 marathon personal best and back-to-back grandma's marathon victories. She shares her training, race goals, and reflections on recent tune-up races at Gate River Run 15K and the New York City Half. But none of that is more important than her unsurpassed love for running. Dakota's perspective is a breath of fresh air, and she'll have you cheering for her on Patriots Day, April 17th. Without further delay, brought to you by Columbus Running Company and ColumbusRunning.com, here's Dakota Lindworm on mile 147 of Seconds Flat. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Dakota, welcome. It is a joy to talk with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. We are nearly in April. Has spring started yet in Minnesota? You know, not entirely. We have um, up to eight eight inches of snow coming tonight. So we, you know, tomorrow is going to be in the 40s or 50s, so it should melt pretty quickly. But I've been lucky enough that I've been down in Albuquerque, New Mexico, training at altitude, um, training for Boston. So I haven't had to deal with the worst of it, but I am pretty sad to be back here and it still be pretty cold and snowy. Yeah. So on that note, what are the challenges of training for a spring race in those winter conditions when you are in Minnesota and how do you adapt the training? I think just being flexible and um, understanding of that the weather is going to play a big role. Um, you can't be super rigid. Like even today I had what I would consider like my last hard effort plan. And um, just with the, it was kind of raining and it's pretty cold. So the rain is turning to ice on the sidewalks. We had to kind of throw an audible and we're going to do that workout on Sunday instead. So just being super flexible is really important. And then also even on Sunday, if it's still kind of cold and icy, like I just have to know that my paces might not be what I hope they are. And you have to really run by effort rather than being super um, stuck on a pace, I guess. Yeah, it's great advice. We're two plus weeks out from Boston. What does the last hard effort look like for you that you have planned? Yeah, so I have 60 minutes of three minutes on at uh, lactic threshold and then two minutes off a little bit slower than marathon pace. So it ends up being about 60 minutes of marathon pace, just kind of floating back and forth. Great alternation session. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a staple of our marathon build. We'll do it several times. And honestly, it's my favorite workout that I get to do. You mentioned Albuquerque. How long were you in New Mexico? And uh, what does your altitude training look like? Yeah, we were there um, for two and a half months this go around. Last year, this is my second time going out to Albuquerque. In the first year, I only went for six weeks. I went a little bit longer this time um, just because 
winter here can just be so brutal and <laughs> it's you know even if you know we didn't go to altitude it's just nice to not be where you're running 100 plus miles on the treadmill so yeah i was averaging around 105 miles a week which is a little bit lower than i'm used to going into a marathon but uh we've got kind of this philosophy with boston specifically that it's better to go into boston undercooked rather than overcooked i think with faster flatter marathons you can kind of push that boundary a little bit more, but um, I think for Boston, you want to show up and be just a little bit more fresh than other marathons. So honestly, I'd say this is one of the most um, like low-key builds I've ever done. I wouldn't say I have a ton of these like super flashy workouts. I've got a handful of really nice long runs under my belt and good races, but um, yeah, I'd say it's pretty low-key fitness this go around, but I think at Boston, it's all about being gritty and that might be all I need. That's sneaky good Boston advice. Did you learn that from your previous experience? Does that come from coach? Why do you feel that way that it's a little different? Having run there many times, I agree with you, but I'd love to hear you explain. Yeah, yeah. So this is my third go round. Um, my first effort was, I would say, pretty, I don't want to say bad, but it wasn't like it was maybe a C day for me. My second effort was maybe more like a B day. And I think each go around, I have seen us back off a little bit more and more before Boston. And I think each time I felt better and better. So, you know, it's not really necessarily the fastest person who wins Boston. It's who's able to handle the downhills and who's like kind of strongest on the day. So, which is kind of unique for a marathon. So I'm really, you know, happy with the marathon build I've done. Yeah, course knowledge there feels indispensable. Also, the emotion of the experience and the excitement, the crowd, all that kind of stuff, especially for the average racer, I think it has an impact. How about for you as a professional? You get caught up in that a little bit too? Yeah, yeah. If you've ever seen any race photos for me, typically I'm like smiling and having a good time. I'm not somebody, I always like kind of look around and I'm like, come on, like we're all having fun. Why not, you know, show that? Or at least I'm having fun. I don't know about anybody else, but <laughs> yeah, I, I do definitely get emotional with the crowds and I, I like to smile. I like to, you know, kind of give like a hand raise, like I can't hear you get louder or give them a thumbs up because it's, really like gives them energy and you can hear them get louder when you do that. And I think that just like brings me the energy right back. Um, and especially like through Wellesley when you're yeah. going through the scream tunnel and it's like so incredibly loud. Um, I think for everybody, including myself, that it gets really emotional. And, and I'd say that's one of the challenges of Boston is it's so easy to go outside of your bounds because you're caught up in the loudness and the atmosphere but you just have to like really stay calm when it's really exciting there because all that excitement happens early like throughout the whole race so mm -hmm. it's easy to like be at mile 10 and look down and be like oh i'm going 10 seconds too fast per mile because there's this amazing crowd mm -hmm. yeah you do have some of the best race photos for most of us when we get those links to our marathon photos we click on it and think my god i didn't think i looked that bad at mile 20. do you look at yours and think oh i was having that much fun yeah, I would say, I mean, I'd say like 90% of the time, that's a very genuine smile on my face. There's about 10% of the time where I'm forcing it because there's plenty of science to prove that if you're smiling, you're tricking your brain on some level to think that you're enjoying it. And it's such an easy, like 1% better tactic. Like we're all looking, we're all neurotic about 
our training and we're all looking for how can I get that 1% better, 1% better. And that's just such an easy thing to just put a smile on your face. It's free. It's, you know, it's proven. Like I, I just think it's silly that we don't see more people smiling, even when you're not enjoying it. Cause it's, I mean, it's helpful for sure. I love that. To rewind to Albuquerque for a minute. Yeah. Uh, you said you spent longer there this winter. What does the transition look like for you when you go from running at or close to sea level in Minnesota to that thin air of New Mexico? Uh, the adjustment, is it easy running when you first get there? And then how do you build through the sessions over your time there? Yeah, um, the first week was super easy. I don't I don't even remember if I did any workouts that first week. It might have just been pretty easy mileage. Um, and then... Yeah, you slowly build into it. And then even when you're in kind of like your peak week, everything is slower. And that's a hard thing for somebody like me to be okay with because even my easy runs, I like to like run fast during, um, but you really have to learn how to recover there and um, be okay with like your LT work being 10 to 15 seconds slower a mile. And yeah, I think Coach Lendo, um, is really great about slowly easing you into altitude. Like I am, you know, like I said, we didn't do anything really hard for a couple of weeks there until we felt like really acclimated. Cause those first couple of weeks, you just, you really do feel just groggy and tired and sleepy, I guess. Like I've never been more tired, but like, even when you're sleeping, you're not getting like a great quality of sleep. So it does take some getting used to for sure. Mm, that's interesting. You used a, a great quote there, learning to recover whether it's in your runs or in the rest of the day, that, that's a lesson for all of us that we really have to be in tune with for sure. We beat up Minnesota there a little bit for the weather, but it is a fantastic place. And, and <laughs> the times I've, I've visited, it's been beautiful. I know Minneapolis has some great running. What are the uh, best spots a visitor should hit for a run if we come to Minneapolis? Yeah, actually, um, Minneapolis and St. Paul are typically voted one and two for like the best like running trails or commuter trails. Mm. So you really can't be in a bad spot when it comes to running here. Um, the lakes are really popular. They're always crowded during the summer. So that's the chain of lakes. Um, it's like the Isles, Bidet, Makasa, and then uh, Harriet. That's a really great little loop. You can get in like 12 miles around all three. The downside, in my opinion, of those lakes is if you're trying to do anything fast, they are incredibly crowded. Um, so my personal favorite place to be is River Road, which is along um, the Minnesota River here. And then it's like on both sides, you're either on the Minneapolis side or the St. Paul side. And it's a little bit more low key, not as many um, just pedestrians out, I guess. So I think it's beautiful. You're on the river. Cool. Hopefully we don't all flood your hidden gym and uh, make it busy just like the lakes, but that sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily a hidden gem because it's, it's still quite a commuter trail, but it's just not as I think accessible as the lakes are. A lot of people live around the lakes and will just walk there with their dogs. Okay. Neat. Yeah. So let's get into some racing. You're coming off a really nice performance at the New York city half sixth overall and second American on a challenging course and building to Boston. How do you use a tune-up race in your marathon cycle? Yeah, so we use it, you know, twofold, obviously, to see like where I'm at with my fitness. And then also just, it's a good workout at the end of the day. And that's really what uh, that half marathon ended up being was a workout. We had 
gosh, I want to say it was like a real feel of like 15. It was super cold on the start line and we had a headwind the entire way. And I just, I'm not really a pack runner when it comes to racing. And that was the right day to be in a pack. Um, I'm somebody who kind of likes to have the space in front of them open and like not worrying about what their, somebody else's pace shift is. So I was kind of grinding that, that whole way alone. And then with like a mile to go, Des and Molly <laughs> caught up to me. And that was a, a funny moment for me because it was like all the crowds in New York are amazing. But I heard so much, go Des, go Molly. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we used two enough races like that, you know, to build confidence. And at the end of the day, kind of get a good workout also it's great like when molly and des came up on me it caused me to like go into race mode and that's not, not something that always comes easily especially when you're in marathon training like it kind of helps you sharpen that competitive side of you that you can kind of lose if you're just on your own doing workouts yeah do you find yourself still as we would say busting rust with those races even this deep into a professional career absolutely <laughs> every um every race kind of busts some rust off especially like your first race of a build-up like i did the jacksonville uh 15k yeah back in early march and e that absolutely felt like a rust buster for me um i think maybe more on the mental side than anything else because there's a level of pain that you go into a race that you can't really replicate in a practice so I think it's good to kind of like remind yourself that it's okay to hurt this bad. It's, you know, like I'm going to live through it and it's okay to push through it. Yeah, that is an immense value that we get from racing at any distance. A Gate River runs a fantastic event. I know it was super warm down there this year. Of course, the bridge is a great challenge late in the race. Does it give you some heartbreak hill vibes? Absolutely. Um, definitely. Yeah. We had quite a, kind of a funny buildup this year. Yeah, that first race was super hot. We were wearing actually these gloves that our coach had given us with ice in them um, to keep our hands cool. And then the second race was the half marathon and it was freezing and we had hand warmers in our gloves. So we had quite the difference there. But that bridge at the Gate River is incredibly challenging and definitely gives you some heartbreak vibes but so does like new york has the the bridge you go over there too so those are pretty um we decide those races because boston is hilly so we try to replicate you know a couple races leading up to mimic the same course as the eight goal race fingers crossed for some conditions in the middle maybe for you at boston which is known to go to extremes as well but let's catch like a 2011 tailwind this year I would love that. Yeah. My first two years at Boston so far have been, you know, not horrible days or no 2018 days, but they've been um, sunny and warm, I would say. So looking forward to a fast year, one of these years anyway. Now Boston has such a special meaning to everyone who runs it. Um, as you're setting out your calendar for you, why Boston? I think I've returned. Well, so the first time I did Boston, obviously like it's a historic race and there's this funny thing. Um, when you tell somebody you're a professional marathon runner or a professional runner of any kind, I feel like the first question anybody asks you is, well, have you done Boston? <laughs> and so for the first like three years of my professional career, I had to say no. And they'd be like, oh, well, my brother-in-law did Boston. And like they just like don't understand. Um, so I felt like the first year I did it, I had to just check that box off my list. And then 
the second year, um, I got to double back. It was really unique because I did the first year in the fall. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we never have to serve a fall Boston again. But mm-hmm. and then I got to double back to the spring. So six months later, got to see that course again, and I felt like that would give me a big advantage. And like I said earlier, didn't feel like I had my best day there. And so at this point, I feel like I'm going back for revenge because it's like I want to nail that course correctly. It's a very tactical course to run. And I know I have not done my best there. So in some ways, it's like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder of I want to beat the course at this point. <laughs> I love the Dakota Linworm Boston Revenge Tour. Yes. Uh, we know the field looks fantastic. So how, are you, how do you approach this race? Do you think about Top American? Do you think about competing to win? Or is this about just executing your race the best you can on the given day? Yeah, so um, I think about it in, I guess, two different ways. Number one, Boston isn't a Chicago. It's not a London. It's not a um, a super fat, fast, flat course. So I think it gives us the opportunity as, you know, Americans to place well because it is a little bit more gritty and, you know, it typically goes out a little bit slower. It's not like a time trial type race. So I think it gives us the opportunity to kind of stick our nose in it with the, you know, the top of the top, like Helen O'Beary, um, yeah. and kind of hold on to them for as long as possible. But at the end of the day, right now, when I'm racing, I am thinking about February of 2024. And like my biggest goal is I want to be a top three American at any race I'm running within this next year, because on February 2nd of 2024 at the Olympic trials, all I have to be is a top three American. So I think that is like the where my mind is the most right now a few times you've mentioned being gritty for this race uh, and it sure seems like you feel that's a strength something that you can draw on where does that come from where's the experience that makes you feel like when the chips are down you can be the grittiest runner on the course um i think it comes from just my absolute like love for what i'm doing Mm. like at no point when i'm hurting am i thinking there's a million different ways I could make more money than this. You know, like there's, <laughs> I'm not doing this because it's a paycheck. I'm not doing this because it's just happens to be what I'm good at. I'm doing this because I absolutely love it. I um, graduated college, you know, like a two time division two all American, but I wasn't somebody who you would think would go professional. I was kind of like a really barely going to make an OTQ kind of girl. And now that like, I've just had this very strong dream and feeling that I could do something really great in this sport. And I just have such a love for it that I think when all the chips are down, like nobody can, can work harder than me. Ah, it's beautiful. I absolutely love that. You know, I was probably an hour deep into a progression run this morning on a bike path, just absolutely soaked and running through some of the same thoughts in my mind. That's something that connects people in this sport, regardless of the level of ability. Obviously, you're at the highest skill level, uh, but it trickles down to the three-hour, four-hour, five-hour marathon. Or You feel that connection in part with those interactions with the crowd that you talk about? Can, can you sense that? Yeah, absolutely. I always say running is like the coolest sport because you can't go play football with Tom Brady, but you can go run Boston with Iliad Kipchoge. Yeah. Like what I'm doing and what the four hour marathoner is doing, we're going through the same emotions. We're struggling through the same things. 
we probably are dealing with the same type of injuries as we build up. Um, we're going out on the same long runs, obviously different paces and different intensities, but I think it's really beautiful that I get to experience what they experience. And when we cross that finish line on Boylston, the emotions I have are the same emotions they have. Yeah. Like it's beautiful. Usually I've got tears in my eyes and you see that with almost everybody who crosses the finish line, but you know, you can go watch an NFL game, but you're never going to feel the same feelings that Aaron Rodgers has on the field. Mm. You said it, Elliot Kipchoge's in Boston this year. You noted earlier your smile tactic, which he is uh, one to use as well. Let's say before the race, or maybe you're in Hopkinton, Elliot Kipchoge comes up to you. What's that conversation going to look like? What are you saying to him? I would be um, fangirling way too hard. <laughs> I know myself enough. Even I still fangirl when I see Des and I, you know, I know her pretty well now. Um, I don't even know what I would say to him other than you are such an inspiration. And he's, I just love how zen he is and how mm. no drama, he's got no drama. He's got, you know, he's just, he's just a real person at the end of the day. And I just really like that. It seems like somebody, you know, you'd want to hang out with. He's not a drama guy or anything. Yeah. You'd be in awe just like the rest of us. Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Could you take us through a sample week in this Boston build? Uh, maybe what a kind of Monday to Sunday setup looks like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So this build, I like, like I said earlier, has been a little bit lower mileage and typically used to doing more like 120 miles a week. So this build has been more like a Monday might be a 10 and a six easy run. So a double, um, Tuesdays, typically some sort of workout, whether that's, you know, it might be typically the more intense workout. So maybe um, three by two mile, four by two mile at LT or three by three mile at LT, um, or maybe even something a little faster. Occasionally, Linda likes to throw that in. Can I interject oh, yeah. there for just a moment? Because you've uh, mentioned uh, running at LT a few times, lactate yeah. threshold. For you at, at your level, what does that translate to roughly on effort and pace? Is that in like a half marathon range? Yeah, um, probably closer to like a 10 mile effort, okay. I guess. Um, about it's, you know, supposed to be like an hour of what you can sustain. For me, it's around like a 520 mile right now. And then, of course, depending on if I'm at altitude or how long of a rep, because if I just have six by a mile, I can do a little bit faster. But if I'm doing three by three mile, I'm going to go a little bit slower. Great. Yeah. Then, sorry, sorry to interject there. Just want no, to clarify fine. for the audience. Go ahead with your week. Yeah. Yeah. Those questions are great. Um, and then I always do like some sort of strength training on Tuesdays. Wednesdays, I am usually doing either a double or like a midweek long run. So it might be a 15 mile run or it might be another 10 and six. Um, Thursdays are typically a double, so maybe a little bit shorter, like a, you know, maybe a 10 and 6, maybe a 9 and 5, kind of depends. Fridays, again, another workout, maybe a little bit more low-key. Saturdays, typically another double, and then Sunday is always the long run for, for us, and sometimes that's just an easy long run, you know, it might be 20 miles easy, but sometimes... Or I would say maybe more of the time it's a workout in some way. So we do what we call moderate effort, which is, you know, slower than marathon pace, but harder than easy. Um, for me, that typically lands around like six minute to 6.15 pace, mm -hmm. which is about 30 seconds slower than marathon pace. And it's just something that you should be able to sustain for a long time. And he might give me like an hour or 
sometimes he gives me total rain and says, just go easy to moderate, whatever feels right on the day, uh, which for me typically means uh, all of it's moderate. Fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's probably about 90% of, of marathon effort for you on that steady day. And we see a lot of the best all around the world using that kind of long run. Other than the low, lower mileage, excuse me, as uh, compared to other preps, anything that you do Boston specific that you might not have done in the lead up to say Grand Malls? Absolutely. Um, we're very intentional about hills. So, you know, it, he'll be pretty specific. Of like if we, we did a three by two mile uh, workout at LT and he was very specific about the first mile being completely uphill and the second mile being completely downhill um, mm -hmm. just to make sure we're getting that like change in elevation. And then even the long runs, he would be specific about saying um, some weeks he wanted like a very hilly long run. So we were getting, you know, a thousand plus feet of elevation on some of those longer runs. And then I would say we do more uh, hill workouts. Like even this last week when I was back here, I did three miles at LT, um, five by a 300 meter hill repeat, and then another LT session after that. So I'd say we mix in a lot more hills than I would uh, before grandma's. Yeah, I like that kind of tempo hills tempo because you're uh, creating the fatigue with those hills and then you got to pop back into running at or faster than race pace. Do you feel like that creates a, a nice simulation for what you have coming up in a few weeks? Absolutely. Because I think uh, what's trickiest about Boston is you think, oh, I've crested heartbreak. It's all downhill. It's all easy from here. But in my opinion, after heartbreak is more difficult than climbing heartbreak because yeah. you've got like two miles of pretty extreme downhill that in your head sitting here at my desk, I'm thinking, oh, that'll be easy. I'll just glide right on down. But your quads are really beat up by that point. Yeah. So creating that fatigue and then having to run fast after is incredibly important. And like beating up my quads on those hills up and down is really important also. I think that's the big mistake people make in say the first four miles uh, where you can seemingly take advantage of the downhill out of Hopkinton. If you do though, that's when you're more beat up for coming out of heartbreak and you can't take advantage of that longer downhill in the last 10K. Have you had that experience in the first two? Absolutely. And I actually um, was just doing like a panel for the Boston Marathon with Ambie Burfoot, if you're familiar. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and he was talking, I cannot remember what statistic it was. It was something like 90% of people positive split Boston mm. because they think I'm going to go out and I'm going to go so fast on these downhills. And then they don't have anything left after they've crested heartbreak. And the correct way to run Boston is 100% to negative split it, even though you've got those hills in there. So um, I think it's really important to, if you're running Boston this year or ever, to think about kind of not thinking about stacking away the pace, I guess, and um, getting ahead on your pace, but thinking about getting ahead on your effort and like mm -hmm. taking those downhills really, really easily. And just appreciating what those first few miles of Boston are and not trying to sprint them because you will pay the piper for it later. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant Patriots Day advice. You're banking effort, not time on that Boston course. You are the back-to-back -back champion at Grandma's Marathon. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because you have something pretty important here in a couple of weeks. But is there any chance we see you going for number three? 
there's a 100% chance I will be at grandma's. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of my favorite things, you know, about the, about races like grandma's opposed to a major is like, there's all this hush hush around the major. You have to be quiet. They, you know, you sign a contract saying you're not going to say anything. Yeah. But the moment I walked away from grandma's marathon last year, I have been very excited to scream it from the rooftops that I will be back every year. I will honestly go back every year as long as they'll have me. I am in kind of a bad cycle of running Boston and grandma's. They're only two months apart. It's yeah. not, um, Great advice for anybody to run two hard marathons back to back like that. But I'm in just a really unique time of my life where I'm still pretty young for a marathoner and I think my body can recover for it. And I won't be doing this every single year. At some point, I will probably have to give up one or the other, um, whether that means I continue to run Boston and only do the half at grandma's or I give up Boston and do the full at grandma's. Maybe it's not the best approach for the average person to do that turnaround, but any tips, uh, maybe some things that you think you'll do uh, in that transition for a, sh a short turnaround in, yeah, almost spot on two months. Yeah, I last year, it, it honestly worked out really well. We didn't get back up to like peak, peak mileage, but you really do carry that, that fitness from your last marathon buildup. So you don't have to worry about going super hard and like getting that intensity in because you've got the fitness. It's just about at that point, staying healthy and kind of carrying it through. Um, so I would say my biggest advice, if you're trying to run two marathons, both at a hard effort, pretty close is by not overdoing it in between. I think that's the mm. biggest and like the biggest mistake somebody could make is thinking, Oh, I've got to get all these miles in or all these big workouts in, but theoretically those workouts are still there from your last up. Yeah, that's wise. Uh, Grandma's Draw is an amazing field, even for not being a, a major. And Duluth pours its running soul into that event. It has to be particularly special as a Minnesotan. I, I imagine that that New York crowd that was cheering for Des and Molly is going to be yelling for Dakota when you're coming through the streets of Duluth. What's that experience like for you? It's honestly my favorite. I didn't grow up in Duluth. I grew up about two hours south, but I always say I have like, like a hometown row up there. When I'm walking around Canal Park where it finishes like a couple days before the race, I get so many people who are like, oh my God, it's Dakota. Like they get so excited to see <laughs> and that makes it so exciting for me. And I love that uh, the crowds are filled with people who are excited to see me because it would be a really boring run from two harbors to Duluth if we didn't have those amazing crowds out there. Um, yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's just fun. It feels to me, I think that's what I need to learn most um, about myself is how to figure out how to have that fun at grandma's at these world majors like Boston. Cause I get so nervous for Boston, but at grandma's I feel like I'm just you know at a party and it's just all for fun but that's where I'm the most successful what's your best advice for success at grandma's at grandma's uh I would say if you've never been up there you've never run the course I think the biggest um, mistake people make is thinking that it's flat it is not flat by any stretch it's really rolling almost the entire time um, so even though you don't need to train hills the way that you train at Boston, it is important to still be getting on hills while you train for grandmas. You have a really unique sports background, Dakota. Tell us about what you've done other than and before running. And how does your athletic background help you now as a runner? Yeah, so I grew up playing hockey because I'm a Minnesotan and that's what Minnesotans do. <laughs> um, 
I was a goalie. I started in the second grade. I was actually on like the first girls uh, hockey program at my uh, school. So it's kind of cool to see like and remember that women's sports are just still that new in a lot of aspects. Um, I loved it. It was I got to train with Olympians and I had a lot of success as a goalie. But when I was a freshman in high school, my mom kind of saw like that I was so wrapped up in hockey in a lot of really great ways and a lot of not so great ways, I guess, like my highest highs were with hockey, but my lowest lows were also with hockey. And, you know, all my friends were hockey players. And after school, I would do my homework and then go out in the garage and juggle for my hand-eye coordination. So I was just, it was just my whole entire life as a freshman in high school. And that's just not the... Mm -hmm you know, broadening your horizons that you should be doing at that time. So my mom saw that and she said, hey, I think you should try another sport because great athletes are great at a lot of things. And it's, you know, you're going to learn something from whatever sport you choose to bring to hockey. And I thought she was running my life. I wanted to be an Olympian. <laughs> I thought I would be the first woman hockey player in that NHL. I had these huge dreams for uh, hockey. So um, I went out for track and field because I figured I like would win the mile every year in my gym class so I thought you know like I must be like okay at running I guess um but I joined that freshman year uh, track and field and I took last in almost every race I ran and I think like I have this I'm incredibly competitive no matter what I'm doing whether it's walking around the mall or running I'm like always want to be first I don't want to be bad at anything so I think because I was so bad at track, I kind of fell in love with that challenge. And that next summer, I ran a ton, got ready for cross country. And again, still wasn't very good, but like was seeing a lot of improvement that I wasn't seeing directly with hockey because running, you just work harder, you run more, you get PRs. But hockey was different because I was also really still dedicated to that and I was working harder but you can only do so much on a team in a team sport. Like I could only stop all the pucks, but I couldn't score the goals. So I think I ended up falling in love with running because you, you just see so much of your effort being put into it. I think the gem in that story, Dakota, is that your mom was the one who pulled you back from that specialization in hockey at such a young age, rather than driving it, which seems so common in our culture. Stepping back from that, now you have those other skills, strength, coordination, as you said, with, with juggling, balance, all those things that just being athletic helps you as a runner too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, the biggest way I can correlate hard, like being a goalie to running is it's goal, being a goalie is really all mental. It's, I mean, obviously there are some physical aspects to it, but at the end of the day, you can't get rattled by a goal scored as a goalie but just like you can't be rattled by a bad mile in a marathon you have to just mm. think okay like kind of forget about that as i i love ted lasso i don't know if you're a fan of that show oh, yeah. but he talks about being a goldfish and that yeah. was really the mindset as a goalie and it's the mindset as a marathoner like whatever just happened 10 seconds ago gotta forget about it like you have to just move on run the next mile you're in and that's like i think a big strength i brought from being a goalie yeah, you have to know that in a marathon, it's going to ebb and flow. When mm -hmm. it's good, there's a chance it'll be bad again, but vice versa as well. And if you can just 
keep putting that next point on the course that you're focused to and staying into that moment, you can have success regardless of the valleys during the race. Uh, you are a Puma athlete. What shoes are you going to be racing in at Boston? Yeah, I'll be in the Puma Deviate Elite 2s. I, they have the fast hours and the deviate elites. I love them both. I happen to run my four minute PR at grandma's and the deviates. So I feel like they're kind of like my, my go-to shoe now. Um, and honestly, I, before signing with Puma stuck to a, the biggest name, I'm not going to name names, but <laughs> I just stuck to them because that's what that was tried, tried and true by everybody. And I would always have foot pain, like hot spots on my feet and I just thought oh that's a marathon for you you're running 26 miles like you're of course gonna have some discomfort but what I've realized uh is I should have been searching for different shoes so if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh I have this discomfort but that's a marathon um maybe try it try a different brand I would suggest Pumas personally but <laughs> you know I would say it's worth shopping around uh and making sure you've got the right shoe for you yeah, the Deviate stuff's really great. The Nitro Foam is fantastic. I haven't been able to run in the second edition of the Elite. Uh, are there noticeable changes or improvements you see from the first edition? Does it feel pretty similar to you? It does feel really similar on my foot. Um, it's slightly heavier, but I would say it's a little bit more aggressive on the drop. Um, and mm. the rocker is, I'd say, like a little bit more curved. Um, I've only raced in it twice at Gate River and the half, but I plan to race in them at, at Boston because I do think they're uh, just slightly better than the ones. Yeah, we see that uh, being a trend with some of the marathon shoes, the weight is actually going up a little bit now after having gone down for so long in an effort to put more stack under the shoe or create more stability with a wider base. I'm always fascinated when a runner gets a shoe deal and has to run in a new product. In, in your case, it's certainly worked very well. What was that transition process like going from running in any shoe you liked, we know what unnamed brand you might've been racing in before, to getting a sponsorship and linking up with Puma? Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie and sugarcoat it and say it was so easy to transfer from one shoe to another because I had been in my trainer for six years and I was like a you know I would die by that trainer kind of thing and so transitioning it was kind of like okay so what is the most comparable to that trainer trying to look at you know um stack height weight um you know stability versus non-stability and I had to jump between like four different shoes until I found the eternities which is what I train in now and I would die by them they're great not to say the other shoes aren't, they just weren't for me necessarily. I was having little niggles pop up in them. Um, and that's not even to say they were from the shoe, but more because I was probably jumping from, you know, shoe to shoe to shoe, trying to figure out what I like. Um, and also it was during marathon training, which also, you know, mm. things are popping up every day anyway. So mm -hmm. it was, it was hard, but you end up finding what you like at some point. It just, you know, takes some trial and error, just like anything else. Yeah, I think that's a common challenge that everyone deals with where you get locked into running in a shoe for years and you're afraid to switch, but there's so much good stuff out right now. And uh, you're a good example. There, there might be something else out there that, as you said, you ran a how big of a PR in that Puma last year in the marathon? I ran a four minute PR and I'm not going to, I'm not going to negate my hard training. So obviously I had, <laughs> you know, I had been working hard, but I don't know if it was a four minute PR worth. Um, I do think it was because 
I never had any pain during grandma's because, because the shoes were so great. They fit my foot. Right. Um, I never had any hot spots or any, you know, sort of quad breakdown the way I had in those other shoes. Yeah. The shoe's great, but let's not give it all the credit. You put in some yeah. pretty serious work to get there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Dakota, just a few things here quickly before we let you go. You mentioned being a Division II runner. What are the uh, best and worst things about Division II running? For me, I would say the best thing was I came into a team of, gosh, we might have had like eight women on the distance squad on our track and field team or cross-country team. And for me, that was really like an easy transition. I was kind of the big dog at my high school. And I think had I gone into a big division two program where I would have been a small fish in a big pond, that wouldn't have been good for me mentally. And also like we got, I hear just the horror story, not horror stories, but the pressure that division one athletes face, it's just different. Um, Obviously our coach wanted us to be successful and he was very serious, but we also got to have a lot of fun. Um, And he created a atmosphere that was, just really great um, and made you love running and not focus 100% on the success. But I will say I've heard from my teammates, I hear about like the free shoes they got and the private jets they took. And (laughs) meanwhile, we were buying our shoes, we were buying our gear, we were taking commercial flights. If we got to take a commercial flight, most of the time it was like a charter bus driving for like nine hours but um so I'd say that's the only downside to division two is it's not you don't get as many frills with it hey I'll take that trade off of blue collar for fostering your love of the sport because I can tell it the way you speak about it that's fantastic uh what are your uh, let's say favorite session and least favorite session in training my favorite is always a long run. I think you start your Sunday or Saturday, whoever you are, uh, with, you know, 20, 25 miles, however far you're going, you just feel successful. Like that, whether you sit on the couch the rest of the day, you have been productive. You've had a good day. Um, my least favorite is definitely progression runs. I have a hard time. Once I get to a certain point, I have a really hard time continuing to get faster, even though theoretically I can run much faster. Um, they can, they tend to be a grind for me. I think that's in part why that uh, effort gets prescribed, right? As you work through those gears to, to deal with that challenge, knowing that it's going to happen uh, in the marathon at some point. Absolutely. Last one for you, Dakota. It's the day after Boston or Grandma's race of your pick. You've had a successful run and maybe it's a, it's a three-peat at Grandma's. Uh, maybe it's a big breakthrough at Boston. You can have anything you want at breakfast the next morning. I'm going to give you three options. We're going to rank them. You can have pancakes, waffles, or French toast. What are you doing? I'm doing pancakes. It's not even close. Not even close. Okay. And then what would be second? Waffles. Oh, you put French toast at the bottom. You know, I think you either love French toast or you hate it. I And I'm somebody who oh. like, I'll eat it if it's available, but if I can taste the egg on it, it's just not for me. Oh, don't say you hate French toast, Dakota. I I would say it's nearly my least favorite breakfast food, uh, for sure. That stings. I love it. Uh, pancakes, are you going like simple? Or are you putting fruit on there, toppings? What's your thing? If it's a day after a marathon, I am putting whipped cream on there, syrup. I'm going to go all out with everything that will make my stomach feel horrible later. <laughs> uh, it's well-deserved. That away. Well, Dakota, thank you so much for sharing your time. Look forward to seeing you on uh, Patriots Day in Boston. We'll be cheering you on. And then again in Grandma's and all that comes next. 
Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.